Hey, Father. How you doing? I'm doing well. So, what story are we doing this week? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, both? Okay, got it. Amazing. Call back later. Yeah, yeah. Love you. Okay. <gasps> you guys, this week, we're talking about the Song of Solomon. Or Song of Songs, depending on which translation you go by. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bible Stories with me, Brianda. Brianda, and joining me behind the wheel is Spanish vixen, but also Miami Vice vixen. Miami Vice, Why? Miami. I mean, the fit, honey. Oh, thank we've you. got some. They can't see it again. We got some latex trousers. We have this super, uh, uh, like Miami-ish. I don't know what you want to call this corset. Uh, your bosoms look very bountiful. Uh, well, you look fertile. Okay, now you... In a good way. Fertile. Now you made me conscious about it. Oh, no! No! Real comment. Comment how beautiful, beautiful and important Clara is to this show, but also you're hot, and this helps me with views. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. Anyways, babes, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I cannot wait for this week's episode. Because this week, we have a listener gift, Yay. listener gift time. And zoom out to the wide. Yes, it's a big one, actually. It's a big one. Uh, first of all, I want to have this listener know that Clara asked, how much did this person pay for <laughs> shipping? <laughs> and honestly, I, mean, I feel bad because <laughs> it was the bougie stuff, the FedEx. Okay? Yeah. So here it is. For those not watching the YouTube, it is a huge box. I was not expecting it to be this big. Um, I'm just, don't mind me. You know what? I'm just going to pull this bad boy out. You good? Yeah, I'm good. I can do it. Clara, I don't need you. Clara, I can hear you think. I don't need you. <laughs> okay. Mom. <laughs> 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 mom, I said I don't need you to. You don't need to pay my rent. Leave me alone. I got this, mom. Just let me fail. Let me fail forward. <laughs> let me do my thing. Okay, hold on. <laughs> just take oh, it all out and then yes. maybe we can cut it. Oh, 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 I have an idea. All right, guys. So I'm just, you know, like I said, it was some bougie packaging. Looks, This looks like a portrait of sorts. Okay. Remind me to tell you a funny story about, about someone who painted two portraits of me. Oh. It, at my bar and restaurant. Same man. One for my 21st birthday and one for my 25th birthday. That is a high tangy. We will save that for another time or this episode. I'm not too sure. But this is a portrait. That is a creepy one, though. It's a look. It looks like a portrait. I still can't see it yet. I'm still uh, dismounting this bad boy from the cardboard. All right. Chumplum. Pa' fuera. I'm glad I got it in camera that I offered my help. And yes. you said you're good. So. <laughs> Claire, so gracious. So gracious, guys. Um, I thought it would be kind of cool to have like a live reaction to this. That's why I haven't seen it yet. And the, the person framed it. His name is Trey. Trey Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Shout out to you. We're going to put your Instagram handle here. And uh, yeah, he is Dallas-based. He's wow. an Wow. Wow. Oh. Okay. Oh my god. Oh, it it kind of got kind of got twisted and turned, but it's fine. It can be fixed. Oh my god, you guys. Show it. 
Wait, hold on. Let me. Oh, this is so cute. Oh, you're gonna make her cry, y'all. <gasps> oh, I mean, oh my god. Ah! I mean, <clears throat> it came from Texas. We're in New York City, so. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so cute. This is I so awesome. I'm gonna cry. What? This is so cool. Put it here in front of your face. Put it in this camera. Right here. Uh, a little. Uh, Okay, thank you. Hi. I mean, she looks a little Middle Eastern, but here we are. (laughs) She's not wearing eyeliner. She's not wearing eyeliner. That's right. This is so dope. Thanks, Trey. Let's just keep these. Let's keep this here. (laughs) Wait, let's just keep the portrait here. All right, guys. So uh, I don't know if we described this well enough, but one of our listeners, one of the Bible babes painted a portrait and it's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Trey. I haven't read your note yet. I'll read that off camera. We love you so much. This is so cool. Like, where am I? Like, oh my gosh. That is so dope. Where do I I put this? It's so dope. Not only the painting, but the the whole framing situation. Like, that is so very thoughtful. I know. So thoughtful. Thank you, Trey. And it's such a great painting, too. Um, I will tell you, so when I was, I was, I waitressed in New York City for a very long time. Mm. And if anyone who knows, anyone who's been a server or a bartender knows that you always want to befriend the kitchen staff. They're the first, your point person. If they're not your friend, your food's going to arrive late. You won't mm. have, like you just, it's good to have a connection with them. I speak Spanish. Majority of kitchen staff in New York is Mexican or Guatemalan mm-hmm. or uh, whatever, you know, Central American. And... There's this guy I will uh, who will remain nameless because I know that some people from my old job listen to this and they mm-hmm. would know. Uh, he, for my 21st birthday, and I, I was in a two-year relationship at this time, he gives me a huge, like, portrait, which, by the way, we'll post a photo of it here. <laughs> she will, Clara will put that in post. Uh, and it was gorgeous. I thought it was beautiful. But my boyfriend at the time was so creeped out by it. He hated it. He literally was like, where's the guy in the kitchen? He was about to like go in the kitchen and beat him up. Oh, he was someone in the kitchen. He made it for me. I it, it was me. a client. No, no, no. Client. Oh, okay. Client. Oh, Who, I don't what, know. what client do I got? <laughs> no. The, I was like nine, uh, no, 21 at the time. It was for my 21st birthday. For my 25th birthday... This guy uh, does another portrait of me. I'm no, I, I don't have a relation. I'm not. I don't have a boyfriend. I'm not in a relationship at this time. And the second time around, it was not quite as sweet. The first <laughs> portrait was like my face, and it was like a close up of my face, and there was like little bits of theater on there because I'm an actor, and like he used my favorite colors, purple and whatever. It was so thoughtful. Drew it off off of memory. That, that photo didn't exist. It was so dope for my 25th you birthday. Know, you, you know, he probably had a crush on you. I mean, I know this now because oh. for my 25th birthday, he made me another uh, portrait <laughs> digital rendering, which we will also put here. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Those are not my breasts. <laughs> he had a photo of me naked on a chair. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Censor that, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. A, a, a naked and just 
listen, I actually thought it was beautiful, but I wish you would have gave my breasts some hang. You know, they were just so like playmate, like 80, 1980s playmate. And I was just like, is that what you think they look like? And if it is, keep thinking that. <laughs> keep thinking that. Anyways, so I'm I'm no stranger to having, you know, to wow, like having things drawn. But this is so much better. This is so much, not better, not better. Uh, every art, it's, we're beautiful. But um, it's it hits different because it's a Bible listener and Bible stories has been such a labor of love. And I love the team. And this is not creepy. Like, this is love. Like, this is, yeah. like, fan love, like, genuine. But I don't know. Someone, okay. I guess, a Bible babe. Yeah. Bible babe is fine. But, like, the other story, like, twice already? No, I like, know. yo. I don't like saying fans. I think we talked about this before. It sounds oh. weird. Stan culture, fan culture, it's weird. I feel like I'm so close to the Bible babes. Like, I actually talk to them. How do you call them? Well, Bible babes. Bible babes. Duh. They're my Bible babes. And uh, their uh, Instagram is my mode of communicating with, like, the people. And if I don't respond to you, it's because it makes me uncomfortable or uh, it was – I feel like it was out of turn. But I really do respond to every single thing. Mm. Yeah, you do. And then there's a little percentage of maybe I missed it or something. Maybe that's you. I'm sorry. Re-message me. Message me again if you think that what you said wasn't out of turn or disrespectful or whatever, and I'll get to it. But, uh, yeah, that's why I don't think it's, like, fandom – and I also don't ever want to be that big to the point where I can't have a like a one-on-one. -on -one, you know what I mean? Or not one-on-one. -on -one, but I want to be able to maintain that same level of connection with them, which may require me to go live more. That way I get to hit more at, at a time. At once, yeah. You know, which maybe I would, I'm not opposed to doing if people are down with that, I do have really bad anxiety. So, you know, that maybe like even thinking about it, I'm getting an anxiety high no, no, just no. thinking <laughs> about it. <laughs> Literally thinking about it. Already. I started itching. <laughs> Anyways, um, Clara, I do want to dive into the story because yes, yes. it is a lengthy one. And this week we're going to be talking about not one, but two books. I think this week is an interesting story. So I'm ready for it. Yeah. It's also like, como cariño, no? Como que le tengo cariño, because it's the one and only thing I ever knew about, about the, Bible. the Bible without actually knowing it was about the Bible. Mm -hmm. So that's yes. the one story my mama told me. I know. Oh, that's right. The story of the babies and Solomon. Oh, that's, yeah. that's what we're starting. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the story, guys. As you can tell from this week's title episode, we're doing Song of Solomon. But... Because I didn't want to fill this week's episode with 40 minutes of biblical erotica, I decided to splice together the continuation from 1 Kings as well as Song of Solomon, which is also known as Song of Psalms, depending on which uh, Bible translation you have in your hands. So just to recap a bit before we dive into the continuation of the story, the main story arc with Solomon, here are some house rules. So, First Kings, written by Prophet Jeremiah, and Song of Solomon, they say was written either by Solomon or it was written about Solomon. Either way, it was written during the time of Solomon. Like, I was reading that there was this biblical scholar who was saying that they may have added Solomon's name 
like years later. Oh, wow. Because it was written at the time of Solomon and the writer used uh, the image and personality of Solomon in the story. So that's why they're like, it could be Solomon. It also could be a a scribe, someone else who wrote it. We Mm. still don't know. I, for many years, thought that it was Solomon who wrote it. But anywho, to recap where we left off, David has died and Solomon has been appointed king. Of course, there was some beef with his brother, Adonijah, who wanted to take over the kingdom, but the Lord had other plans. And next in line was Solomon. So Solomon then bodies people within the first couple years of his reign. He kills his brother. He kills uh, two of his father, David's enemies. He really gets to work. He marries a foreign woman. He, um, he starts doing, he starts sacrificing animals and different things to other gods. And he gets confronted by the Lord. Uh, and then the Lord then asks him, what is it that you want? Solomon says, I would like to have more understanding, more wisdom. Our father gives him that. He gifts him this. And that is where we leave off. So this week, we're going to start with King Solomon's first test of his wisdom. You know what I'm saying? Because that's when you really know your gift is being used. You got to see like, oh, where's the practice going, Mm -hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? Applied learning. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start off with the story of the babies and Solomon, which is a pretty famous story, a story that Miss Atheist... So famous that even the atheists know about it. Mm-hmm. The test begins with two prostitutes approaching King Solomon for some justice. The first prostitute tells the king, King Solomon, one of the women in the same house as I has killed her baby and replaced my baby with hers. So let's dive into scripture for some context, because I'm sure some people are confused. Let's dive in. Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, verses 19 to 22. I may bounce around. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me. While your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. Do you guys understand where this is going? She's basically saying that uh, the woman killed her own baby in her sleep. She laid on him. She crushed him. So what she did was she took her dead baby and put her, put the dead baby at this prostitute's breasts and took the, the the living baby on the other one. She basically had like a parent trap with babies. Okay. Wow. Back into scripture. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, The dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus, they spoke before the king. T. And then David responds, okay? Hopping into scripture, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 24 to 28. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then... 
The woman, whose son was alive, said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, Oh, my lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him, in due justice. And that mm. is the story of Solomon and the baby. How cool. It was kind of like, no one has ever done that kind of Jedi mind trick on people, but we're dealing with a different Solomon here. He's got the gift of deep understanding, and he knew that if he threatened to chop that baby in half, like a chicken kebab, he knew that the mother, the true mother of that baby, was not going to allow that. You know? The mole was going to come out, and that mole revealed herself. I guess this is a good point to uh, just recap that, uh, the whole interaction to kind of like really tie a bow around Solomon's wisdom. As we can see in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 to 34, I may skip around, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind, like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all of wisdom of Egypt. Uh, verse 32, he also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Mm. So that's how wise this guy was. We're going to take a break from 1 Kings because, to be quite honest, it's um, not as exciting as the story we're about to get into. Uh, pin in 1 Kings is what I'm saying. So we're about to transition to what we all came here for. Song of Solomon, also known as Song of Songs. And like I was saying before, some people say that Solomon wrote this. Some people say that someone else wrote it in Solomon's name or about Solomon or during the time of Solomon. And uh, early Hebrew and Christian scholars maintained that the love story found in Song of Solomon is an allegory of God's love for humankind or of the intensity of divine love within the human heart. Now, that is a very nice way to say that this is erotica, okay? As far as the Bible is concerned, it is some risque content, okay? And it's so funny because the, the, the book has, what, eight chapters or so? And there's no plot per se, but there is, it's, it's just a bunch, it's like poetic, it's like poetic songs, and it tells the story of basically four characters. There's a shepherdess, or in some translations known as a bride. There is kind of the chorus, el coro, like the people on the outside, the third parties, um, which also include her other maiden friends and her family and siblings. And then uh, there's another character known as the shepherd and also Solomon, or the idea of Solomon, right? The perfect, her, her like, perfect king, her like the, the ideal lover in her eyes that she's been vying for. 
That's who Solomon represents in the story. So it's really a dialogue between a shepherdess, her people, the shepherd, and King Solomon, in short. And the shepherdess is the one that speaks the most, the bride. And it starts out by this shepherdess expressing how uh, she is in, she's searching for one of her like soulmates. And she starts off in chapter one saying, I know I'm not the most beautiful, like conventionally, but that isn't stopping me. She basically says, I know I'm ugly, but I ain't missing no meals. Okay. That's what she says. <laughs> you know, um, it's so funny what I was reading. Actually, let's hop into scripture so I can uh, maybe possibly get into a high tandy. I don't know. Um, but the scripture is, uh, and it may get controversial. We'll talk about it after I say it. So scripture, Song of Solomon, chapter one, verses five to 10. I am very dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where your pasture, your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Here she's basically saying, like, I know I'm unattractive conventionally. And back then, everyone was relatively dark-skinned back then or like mm -hmm. melanated, you know what I'm saying? But of course, what was uh, deemed more superior back then was the lighter skin because it was indicative of wealth, money, power. You obviously didn't work out in the fields. You didn't get any sun. Mm -hmm. In this story, the shepherdess worked outside. She worked a lot, so she was obviously much darker. And, um, you know, you, the, like I was saying, the Bible's a little uncomfortable, and obviously this is colorist, but given the time, reference for the time, I hope that you guys can uh, maybe not look past it, but not be too bound or bogged down by that kind of unsavory part of Song of Solomon. And I also want to... Uh, uh, Hi, Tangi, not hi, Tangi. I love the fact that she sees her own beauty despite what society tells her. Mm. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. That's society may tell her, you know, you aren't what will sell on magazines. You may, you know, but that didn't stop her from knowing her own beauty. And she was going to shoot her shot. Mm -hmm. How beautiful. Hi, Tangi. Listen, I knew. You know how I say that being funny makes me feel ugly. This is what I'm talking about because I really do relate to the shepherdess because I know I'm cute now. I know, I know that these double D's may confuse all of you. I may put a lash on and it'll change, but let me tell you something. I didn't get hot until high school and people in Lynn, Massachusetts can agree to this. They are my, they, they know this. Like I was ugly growing up ugly like i had a big head mustache and hairy arms it was rough rough i had no friends i was such an introvert had anxiety i used to eat lunch with the like custodians i'm not even kidding you i used to eat What's lunch a custodian el calimpia oh i used to like i was best friends with like the lunch ladies and stuff that's why i'm such an old lady like i was talking about like taxes at 10 um <laughs> But like, I I'm telling you, that is, you develop um, this kind of, um, this other talent when you don't have that uh, immediate likability. 
Like I used to think because of this, people didn't like me. And of course I had the proof. People would make fun of me a mm. lot. Like I'm talking about, it was bad. And the only way I knew how to survive in that, because I know my mom wasn't going to help me. My mm. mom was an immigrant. I told my mom people were making fun of me and she was like, ha, bitch, shut up. I brought you to this country. Suck it up. Suck it up. Like, you know what I'm saying? She was not going to go in there and, no, I had to, I had to deal with all the bullying, the like 10, 12 years of bullying, mm. you know? So in that time I had to fend for myself. And when I was doing it, I developed like this ability to like really make fun of people. And I also had my sister who... To get, to get back at them, right? Oh, yeah. But I would practice my jokes on my sister. Oh my I was God. bad was with her. So bad. And if my sister would swing at me, that's when I knew I had a good joke. Or like I was like, mm. ooh, let me find out the right person was making fun of me. I would make them cry. And eventually one of the... one of, A guy really tried me one day and he ended up telling his dad that I was calling him like dandruff, dandruff Danny or whatever. I don't know. He had a bunch of dandruff. Like, I know you're not calling me big head. I mean, how can you try to bully someone when you're dandruffing everywhere? That's what happens. Like, Why aren't I mean, you minding yours? Because exactly, I'm going to start. Anyways, point of the story is I started like uh, uh, relying on my like words in my mouth at a very early age to defend mm. myself. That was my armor. And I think that's why I do what I do now. Mm. Only now I got cuter. So it's like, oh my God, what, look at this combination of so things. So now you're cute and funny. Right. Yeah. But I still feel ugly. So it's so terrible. But that's powerful though. No, that's powerful because I think I like people that grew up ugly and then became... <laughs> yeah, I like them better <laughs> than people because they're not big headed like that. Because I was, I was an ugly kid too. I was fat my whole life. But like, okay, no, no fat hate or whatever. But you know... As a teenager, is not the best to to stand out because you're big. Yes, okay? yes, as a yes. teenager. Yeah. So, um, I feel like when you grow up not feeling cute or sexy, and then time passes and you find your image or your beauty, and like you can embrace that. It's so cool because you you know how it feels to to be cute sometimes, but you always know how it feels not to be the cute one. I feel like th these children that are grown, cute, and, and, and popular, they don't know the other part. Yeah. So it's easy to be mean or... And oftentimes, girl, they age in like cottage cheese. They're not even looking good now. So I'm like, dang, That's you got true. no personality. And you can't move your face because mm. you put so much filler in it, which I don't mind. No filler hate here. I'm totally pro. No, but everything to, brought to the extreme is bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I've done a Versace. Nah. Right, right, right. But I'm definitely going to get zapped once I need it. Just for any of the listeners knowing, like if they're like, Bree's cheeks look a little more puffy. You didn't see anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if it looks like I got filler. No, it doesn't. What's her name? Do we have a name? No, there's no name. She's just known mm. as the shepherdess or the bride. But it doesn't matter because this isn't even a part of the mainline story. You don't mm. need a name. It's really a poem book. You know, I said in the Bible, there are different books, history, law, wisdom books, poems, poetry, songs. This is like one of that. Mm. So you don't really need a name when you have like that, the heart of it. I don't know. Maybe I'm sounding too wooshy wooshy. But mm. um, you do get the name of the conquerors. Of, first of all, we don't even know that. I, we don't know what, what the translations when they started putting Solomon's name in. Mm -hmm. But also, Solomon was famous. Like, and, and let's not even let's say, let's say that she also speaks a lot. Does she even need a name with all that dialogue? Like in the Bible, to have a woman have take up so many chapters of just her dialogue. 
So let's get back into yeah. Song of Solomon because uh, th so the beginning, she's basically telling her maidens and people like, there's a lover that's lost out there for me. I have to find him. And it's kind of like this dialogue between the maidens and the maidens are like, well, you must go find him, like whatever. And they, the way they set up the story, it's so cool because they have – the, the uh, like the 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 lover respond the male counterpart respond mm. and uh like there's one line that literally reminds me of drake's take care like you know drake's era of like being like super sappy mm. like listen to this scripture song of solomon chapter four verses five to seven oh i wish we could put some like music over here maybe we'll do that in post your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Oh, honey. Okay! Okay! So... During this time, like I said, there's like this back and forth thing that happens and it's just like a cipher of like they're competing on who can one up their like flowery love. And I don't know if I've ever been in love, love, but I've definitely like had a, a t intense love with some of my boy ex-boyfriends and we used to do stuff like that, you know, like when, when you are so enamored by someone and you just want to like, you just want to make them feel good. That's what this reminds me of. Mm. And, um... Uh, while in bed, the maiden dreams, um, the shepherdess, that she is searching the city streets for her lover and that she finds him and takes him home. She envisions a lavish wedding procession and um, in which her happy bridegroom appears as King Solomon. So that's what I mean. This is like a dream. So wait, she's dreaming of King Solomon while she's getting to know someone else? No. Well, here's the thing. At the beginning of Song of Solomon, it really is all... Uh, like imaginative. It's almost like... It was like a fantasy that she's having right now? Well, we don't know because she could... It depends on how you interpret it because it's a poem, right? Like I can tell you my first pass of reading it, she is looking... She's actually searching for that lover. She had a lover and she hadn't like consummated the love, but it's like when you see someone from afar and you're like, no, this is it. So like I, I view it as it was an actual like person that she was searching for, but... It also like in a, you know the movie Inception where there are different realms. Mm. Oh my gosh! Come on, girl, get it! Come on, Clara! <laughs> like it's like it, it, they're different planes. That's what makes this so. I can't believe this. The Bible was written so long ago because it's so smartly it, uh, written and it's so um, uh, uh, complex because you don't. I mean, for some, it's like a dream within a dream too. So. She envisions a lavish wedding procession in which her happy groom is in the form of King Solomon. I mean, I do that sometimes. She's I don't have a boyfriend, you know? So like sometimes I think my ideal person is this hodgepodge of all the best things I love about different men. And then a little bit later, like I, we can jump ahead, but um, I'll actually, no, we'll stay here and then I'll go into what Solomon says in the or the person who Solomon represents says in the wedding. But I also wanted to make a note that 
the maiden, the sharp, well, I'm going to actually name her the shepherdess, boasts about that man at the pasture, but she also warns the woman, because remember I said there's also como un coro, like mm. her, her chorus of people, who represents that other character in Song of Solomon. She tells them, you see that love that I'm singing about, this love that I'm professing about? We must make sure not to give ourselves too quickly mm. to that. And... um I think that's kind of important because you also, you never want to romanticize an idea. You know, you want to receive someone as they come. And I think that's why she says, by the way, don't give yourself away too quickly, right? Like, um, for whatever reason, the Bible tells me that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, in Song of Solomon, like, and by the way, the texts are very, very detailed. So it's not like, God can't get down and jiggy with it. You know what I'm saying? God knows about intense pleasure and sex, which you'd be a fool not to know what this is referring to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the Lord provides us with parameters in order to intensify that goodness, not to hold it back. And I don't care what the sex positive movement tells me. You're not going to brainwash me. No sex is better than emotional connection sex, period. I don't care what anyone says. No one can debate me on that because it is objectively true. The best sex is from someone you have an emotional connection with, period. I think for like sex is such a huge spectrum. Everybody likes what they like. I don't like, you can't really Clara, speak in Clara, you, you, you can't agree with what I just said, that the best sex is one rooted in emotional connection. With someone that you have an emotional connection, yes. That is what I but said, yes. Okay, so I'm for some reason I'm thinking of uh, what you're saying. I'm thinking as like love making, love and like sense sensual, like no. sensual and like love, like making whatever. Which it can be. I mean, great. I only want to have that, but yes, it can be great if you truly have an emotional connection. But sometimes you want to spice it up too. And if you have this spiced up hmm? with the person that you love, then it's just that's it yeah but Claire, oh yes we're not we're, okay so we're on the same page okay, here okay. what Absolutely. i'm saying is you can do the other tentacles of sex with the person you love but you can't do the opposite you can't you can't have that deep you're making a face but what what what's the face because i don't think that you can so you can still enjoy sex with someone that you don't have a deep connection with emotional connection well that's with. not what i'm saying what I'm saying, what what I'm, I'm, talking about, because I'm, I'm talking about the quality of sex and intimacy. You can have it's always better. better. You can, it can have better, but it doesn't mean that without the emotional connection, it, you're not going to enjoy it or you, it's not going to be good. No, but why would God want us to have something that's second tier, well, second that's different. Place? That's different. You know the what I mean? Bible says different, but all I'm saying... So essentially what I was saying was these boundaries that God reveals to us aren't meant to feel like um, burdensome. It's like, or maybe I'll talk about it in the moral of the story, but it's like, why would our father, who is the, the pinnacle of joy, good, euphoria, high tangy, not high tangy. I remember when I had my first encounter with Jesus, the, I, the only way I could describe what was happening, because I didn't know what other words, I was mm. fre fresh out the atheist oven, like was orgasmic. It felt orgasmic, but take away the sex out of it. It felt like... If you've done a psychedelic before, you know what I'm talking about. And that's when, like, I felt Jesus in every fiber of my being, like, tell me I was worthy and whatever. It was a beautiful moment. But 
why would that being want me to ever have subpar anything or less than something? He would want me to go straight to the gold, the gold standard. You know what I'm saying? Now, whether a woman decides not, and I'm saying woman just because of the case of the shepherdess, whether a woman decides, hey, actually, I don't find too much value in that, that's another story. How can you, how can you know that this one's better than the other one if you had never had both? How can you compare? There is no comparing because when you have a relationship with God, God is your number one. So you're not like really thinking about what, um, which, like, like, like shoe shopping. Which guy? I have so many options. No, we know that our number one is God, period. We only listen to him and report to him, period. And he tells us that the love that we're to give to our partners is super sacred and super um, exclusivo. So we wouldn't be thinking about that. And to be honest with you, at least with me, even before I was an atheist, I wasn't doing, I wasn't having like, I wasn't fiending for those other things. And I would have sex with people that I wasn't in a relationship with. And it did not make me feel any fulfilled. Did I feel orgasms? Yeah, I felt orgasms. I felt all of that stuff. I had a very sexy Brooklynite man breathe on me and I came three times. Yeah, I know, but I'm not, I, I did, it made me feel so spiritually depleted. And, I, and, and that was before finding God. So that has to count for something. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah, but you understand that not everyone feels like you, though. There are people course. that have occasional sex and don't feel. Of course, and any those people have podcasts and they have very successful podcasts. Very, very successful podcasts. This one, uh, you know, and this is my show because there's always a flip to another thing. Like, I'm so tired of voices like mine not being heard like there's so like so many women that write to me and I speak to and whatever like they may not even they may not even find themselves in those hypersexual things and they may not find themselves in mine either way let's provide both and see where people land I think the most important is to respect every position so it is as good yeah to not shame the one that For is sure. hypersexual and enjoys occasional sex or whatever. And it is as important to not shame the one that is devoted to just finding the one partner that they want, whatever you feel comfortable with. That's my motto. Like yeah. whatever you're comfortable with, that's what's meant for you. It's so funny because- But don't shame people that are comfortable with other things. Like that's another important- I wouldn't like, shame. I, don't I, know you, I know you don't. I know you don't. But um, like, it's important to cover everyone. It's so funny because I oftentimes find that, you know, the sex positive movement, when there are movements, what would be assumed is that they are being suppressed. You know, that's so funny. I don't see them being suppressed. If anything, I'm being suppressed. <laughs> like, I think it's the opposite. Because every time I tell people about my celibacy, especially in the Northeast, I met with faces of confusion and disgust or like, like... I, it doesn't make me feel good. And it's so funny because it normally comes from a lot of really, uh, I, people are gonna hate me for saying this, like sexually promiscuous. I, I hate that word, but I'm just, for lack of a better word, it typically comes from those women. And I'm like, wait, this goes against the sex positive movement. Yeah. What about the asexual people? There's a lot of like, there's a lot of confusion with this. There's a lot of women that are like, oh yeah, let's and and that's what it counts. Because if you're against, if you're calling me a hoe for doing this, eh, 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 but 
you're not respecting the wait what like you have to respect everyone here and if i'm not comfortable going around and fucking around that's okay too oh yeah Every, like <clears throat> sex Ooh. is the one thing that almost almost everything except for when it's like non-consensual or like abusive but like almost everything else it's okay honey yeah whatever you are in the spectrum you're good Yeah, but you want to know something? Now we're cooking with gas. With my nieces and my daughters, I don't want them to have a lot of sex. Period. It's a self. But that's it's a selfish of you. No, it's not. How is it selfish of me? Why wouldn't I want my nieces to not be subjected to uh, higher chances of sexual transmitted diseases or whatever have you? If you like, have you know safe sex. But even if you have safe sex, there's a possibility of it. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I, by the way, what I do in my home and with my people shouldn't affect other people's lives. <laughs> like, why do you care so much about what other people do? Just like the idea of kink shaming, we're throwing away the term shaming too freaking loosely. Mm -hmm. Like, have you ever thought that we're not kink shaming? We just don't care. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, we just literally don't care and we would rather not hear about it. Like, in fact, like when I hear about people get really into detail or whatever, Obviously, when you're with your friends and in intimacy with it, so no, that's different. Yeah, that's But like when people do it publicly, I'm like, why are you revealing so much of yourself? And it's not shaming. It's your explicit nature is making me uncomfortable. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's another thing. But that's what breeds when we live in a hypersexual community. Mm -hmm. Like it breeds that need to dump. And I like it off the butt. No, but I, it's funny that you say that because I was, for some reason, I was thinking about this specifically today. I, um, I feel that the movement right now with like all these like sexual positivity, sexual, whatever, like this, it's come, it come, it's exploding right now, mm -hmm. right? I feel it's a natural course of everything that has been like oppressed. Oh. You then explode yeah. and then you calm yourself. So you can see that on a personal basis, like when someone has been in a very um, suffocating relationship and they get off this relationship, they explode, they go wild, but that's a phase of their life. And then they balance themselves out and find whatever suits them. Uh, I want to go back to the Song of Solomon and uh, I wanted to go to now the wedding scene where this image of Solomon And chapter seven, verses five to nine, he says, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one with all of your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. <laughs> I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruits. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. And then she responds, oh, guys, my nipples. <laughs> and then she responds, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Mm. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. That was nice. That was very nice. Um, that was really nice. I like reading that part. Well, at the wedding, the shepherdess's brothers are there as witnesses, obviously. And uh, they give like a final advice uh, chap at chapter, I believe it's chapter eight, verses eight to nine. And they say, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. Hold on, let me just finish. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. 
Do you know what that means? No. So in the, it, it's basically brothers giving their sister off, and they're explaining to them from the male perspective. Again, this is going to be a little misogynist or sexist uh, for present day, but the door equals a hoe, and the wall is the whatever the opposite of a hoe would be, or a. So opening your legs and not opening them? Yeah. So that's what they're saying. They're saying um, we will build uh, – if she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. Like there will be the strongest form of a relationship built. And then they say, but if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. That it may be just a harder time for her to find that Solomon. Um, now, it also says after this that the shepherdess was a wall. but. I don't know that for sure. She had a very vivid imagination. So I'm like, <laughs> wow, was she a born again like me? Because <laughs> I have seen, I have seen some dicks up close. Okay. <laughs> um, but now I'm ready for my one. Anyways, that, and I know girls are going to, women and men probably are going to feel uncomfortable about that, you know, especially where we are at now with the, you know, sexual liberation and, you know, women's right to do whatever they want with their bodies. And, you know, these stories are all written by men too. So I can understand how an outsider or someone who doesn't read the Bible could feel like, oh man, it's another moment where the Bible isn't speaking to them or condemning what they do or whatever have you. By the way, like we said before, it isn't about these characters. These characters may not even exist. You know what I'm saying? It's about how you feel about it and why you feel that way. If you feel bothered by it, why do you feel bothered by it? And then explore that and then go deeper. And then, oh, it's because of this? Okay, then why does that happen? You know what I'm saying? It allows you to examine yourself and your relationship to yourself and the world. So there's a gem here, regardless of the, of the, of the approach used. You know what I'm saying? Capish? Capish. Vamos a continuar. Now we're hopping back into First Kings. And we are now headed towards Solomon's fourth year as king. Okay? Just for some, you know, contextual time frame, because I know that when I'm bouncing around different books and stuff, it can get confusing. So this information may um, help you better understand the time frame. We are now at approximately 400, 480 years after the Israelites uh, had their exodus after Egypt. Kabish. And now Solomon has started building the temple, the temple for the Lord, the temple that he pro that that uh, uh, he'd promised that he was going to build. He was predestined to build this even before Solomon was even born. And I think it's super important to also put a photo. So for the visual learners and those who are watching on YouTube, put a photo here, Clara, of what the temple looked like. And in 1 Kings, around chapters uh, 6, 7, 8, they get into vast detail about how it was built. You know, Solomon had to get help from outsiders, outside territories, outside lands that he had good relationships with them. At this point, Solomon and Israel, they were kosher. Everything was going great for the first time in so long. Like they weren't beefing with anybody for now. And I'm saying stay tuned for next week's episode. But um, let's hop into scripture for a little bit more uh, context as to what went down with this temple 
temple building. First Kings chapter six, verses 11 to 13. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. He lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar. From the floor of the house to the walls of the ceiling, he covered them from the inside with wood. A bunch of wood, guys. Let's fast forward. 16, uh, verse 16. He built 20 cubits of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the walls. And he built this within an inner sanctuary as the most holy place. The house, that is, the nave in front of the inner sanctuary was about 40 cubits long. Cubits is a biblical form of measurement that doesn't exist now, but one cubit is like a foot and a half, essentially. Capiche? And Solomon made all of the stuff on the inside. He also got this other guy from another town, I think it was um, from Lebanon, to make a bunch of the stuff on the inside that were made out of bronze. It was lavish, which I know you... <laughs> You're a fan of Clara, the lavishness of churches, which I'm, listen, I get it. Me neither. I, I'm a very simple girl, but this is biblical times, right? Um, there were gold lampstands, gold floral work, gold sockets for the doors. Wow. Could you imagine that? Like MTV Cribs, like mm -hmm. with Solomon coming in and showing up his like temp. Yo, this is my temple. Yo, this is where the magic happens with all 300 of my wives and concubines. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so eventually, obviously, this is the holy temple. Uh, the holy high priests uh, transported the covenant, which we know the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant is very important. They finally bring the covenant, the Ark, which we know inside the Ark are the two stone tablets that Moses wrote on, very sacred. That's why no one can touch them, you know what I'm saying? And of course, after it was finalized, Solomon gave this very famous uh, prayer, right? It was called Solomon's Prayer. And this may get a little long. I'm going to skip around, but wow, there's a lot of scripture this episode, but I think it's more important than what I have to say. T-B-H. So we're going to get into a little bit of Solomon's prayer. I'm going to skip around though, because it's way too long. Uh, but please read it. Chapter eight, first Kings chapter eight, verses 22 to 24. And then I may hop into 46. Gonna skip, I'm going to skip. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Fast forward to 41. Uh, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, when he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that the, this house that I have built is called by your name. And uh, I, I also want to sum up the next chunk of this prayer because he also says, and if these foreign people, like, and by foreigners, you know, they're talking about people that, much like myself, who found Christ later, like aren't, weren't raised in the church, right? Like that's what discipleship, true discipleship really is, right? Uh, he says that if there are people who have sinned, and then in the Bible it says, and we all have sinned, 
Father, please forgive them. Like if they come to you in repentance, please forgive them. And um, yada, 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 yada. It's really, really long, but it's beautiful. If you guys want to like read that prayer, it just is so lengthy, but uh, pretty beautiful exchange of how one would pray to to the Lord in a time of celebration, right? Because the this uh, marks the the finishing of the temple, right? And uh, by the end, Solomon had commissioned not only the temple of the Lord, but also a royal palace. So there were two two things that were commissioned to be made, and they took like but two de- two decades to to complete. And um, after this prayer, the Lord responds to Solomon. This is now the second time that he's visited Solomon personally. First uh, Kings chapter nine verses two to nine. The Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping the statutes of my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. We already know Solomon has done that before. That's why he's telling him. Mm-hmm. Um, and also God knows the future. Uh, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all people. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Yikes. <laughs> you know, God was being oddly specific <laughs> about this warning to Solomon. Mm-hmm. You know, it was almost like, you did it once, you're not going to do it twice. Or not only that, I know what you're about to do. <laughs> Please don't do it. <laughs> like a warning flag. By the way, what you're about to do next week, don't do it. <laughs> because listen, it, everything goes left for Solomon. Um, he, like I said, it took 20 years to build the the temple. Uh, and there was a, there's a thing that happened with the Queen of Sheba. We don't have to go into detail about that, but she was basically uh, an outsider who heard of Solomon's fame and wanted to check out the scene and see if he was really... If he was really a, a BDB, anyone who listens to Poor Minds, the podcast knows what that is. If he was really like the head honcho, she wanted to see what was up. And it ended up being that it was. Read that story. It's really good. It involves Queen, uh, Queen Sheba. Um, but everything begins going downhill because, of course, the Queen Sheba is a good moment where we realize, holy crap, Solomon is so rich. At this point, he's beyond rich. At this point, they haven't seen riches like this ever and on top of that, other people want to shower him with even more gifts. It's kind of like rich people that always get free stuff. Mm. I'm like, this is so crazy. The ones that don't need it are the ones that get flowered with things. Everywhere. It's- every, every time I go to Wheezy's house, I'm like, the girl with so many shoes, her closet is spilling over. She gets so much free-ish. God bless her. She's 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 changed my life. Love her. Love her. Thank you for doing all this. But like, still, I'm like, oh my gosh, why does this happen? Everywhere you go. 
Well, here's the thing, because if it's given to the wrong ego, it can only, that kind of behavior can only feed greed. You know what I'm saying? So at this point, Solomon starts to go downhill. And we find out here, well, we already knew this before, but Solomon loved women. Solomon was a Casanova ladies' man, okay? He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. <laughs> Solomon <laughs> 700 women for himself. 1,000 women for that man, honey. No, he's the Casanova of the Casanova. That's what I'm like, saying. He is the LeBron yo. of Casanovas. <laughs> Listen, let's hop into scripture. First Kings chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 3. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of the Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. We're talking about Atlanta, Houston, Vegas, <laughs> Miami, New York. He has it all over the place, okay? From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Let me repeat that last line. And his wives turned away his heart. No wonder. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. And as, as was the heart of David his father. He's basically saying, David was a lot of bad things, but remember, you know how Solomon's known as the wise guy? David's heart was never left was God. Yeah. yeah. For Solomon went after uh, the goddess of the Sidonians and after Milcom, etc., uh, etc. Et so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Solomon built high places for detestable gods. He paid for all of this. Wow. He basically, so for every woman that he, every foreign woman that he had, he was like praying to those gods as well. You know, that's like, I'm going to say something really deep right now, same. but the same way he's cheating on all these women, he's cheating on God too. So it it actually kind of shows once a cheater, kind of always a cheater because that it just, it's no, within your nature. Let me that. I don't believe that once a cheater, you're always a oh. cheater. But once you've cheated, you're cheating yourself. Oh yeah, for sure. That's really but it's like it it, it's it's like it's just your nature. You just cannot be faithful to anything or anyone. Really. You can be. You can change that. No, no. I'm just saying. No. I'm talking to Solomon right now. Like you can't be faithful to any. Like the same way he was being unfaithful to all these women. You're you're estás adorando other, other gods, gods right now. Yeah, he's like, cheating on God and paying for other. God's temple, well, not temples, but como... oh yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. And could you imagine the Lord seeing this after you have already done this, chance, and then you, I give you another warning, and then you do this again. Oh, the Lord has some words for him. Okay, First Kings chapter eleven verses nine to thirteen, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because of his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. 
Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hands of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Period. Boom. It's a bit for those mics. It's okay. I'm graceful here. ASMR. Ew, ew, ew. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, that's, I, I think that that's a strong, a strong point to end the episode. Uh, God is very displeased with King Solomon at this point, and we will continue where the story goes next week. Moral of the story is sex and relationships are an intentional part of the design. The design of life. The design of love. L-O-V-E, love. And this warm, robust, and complicated thing known as love is what we are meant to emit and receive, babes. God knows what our capacity for real intimacy is. So don't go walking on eggshells with our father, okay? He can handle it. The love he has for us is the deepest kind of love. What a gift. Of course he wants us to delight in our gifts and share them with those most important to us. But from today's reading of the Song of Solomon, I became turned on by the idea that our bodies are uniquely assigned to us by our father. We only get one. Both God and our bodies are deeply personal. That's why he gives us a blueprint on how to best honor our bodies. He gives us a manual, kind of like instructions for Ikea furniture. You can either raw dog that coffee table blindly or pick up that Swedish pamphlet and get to work. (laughs) And that work looks different for a lot of us. Either way, it's not our job to judge. That's never okay. Anyways, God's boundaries for us in life aren't meant to keep us from having fun. On the contrary, he points us toward the best kind of fun. And that comes from love. Ooh! Hey, Father! How'd I do? Oh, okay. Okay, great. Okay, wait. Sorry to interrupt you. But oh my God, can you believe? Can you believe that a Bible babe made this for us, Father? We're so sweet. What? Huh? You think it looks better than me? What? Okay, wait. He loves you. But listen, Father, I think it looks just like me. You know what I mean? Maybe she, she's a little tan. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>